Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Open to Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to try to reset my, my iPad because I wasn't expecting to play drums this morning, and I didn't check my sermon here. So open to Luke chapter 11. There we go. I'm going to turn my power off. Turn my power back on. I could preach this from memory, but I'm not going to do very good doing that. So, Luke chapter 11. Let's let's turn there real quick. Children, if you're if you're leaving, that would be great. Let me just turn this back on and see what happens. We'll ask the Lord to give me strength here. If not, I'm going to have to have somebody bring me a printed copy. <laughs> we'll see what happens here. It gives you time to turn there, doesn't it? All right. All right, I need somebody to bring me a printed copy because this is giving me an error. Saying the internet, oh, wait a minute, I know why. Sorry, you're having to go through all of my fun stuff here. It'd probably help if I took it off of airplane mode. I, I, I put it in airplane mode so I don't get text while I'm preaching. Um, that's always weird. To like you're, you're preaching and all of a sudden you get a text and you're like, who's that from? I don't want to be listening, watching this while I'm, while I'm doing that. So let's, uh, aha, I've got it. I apologize for the technology here, so. Um, so let me get my bearings straight here, okay? You mind if we pray one more time? Let's just pray real quick, okay? Lord, help us to get focused on your word this morning. Um, we want to be good hearers of your word, and so Lord, help me to stay focused and help us all to stay focused on your truth this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So it's amazing how God has created different animals with the ability to hear sounds at different frequencies, um, I don't know if you know about the, the way that different animals can hear, but so as humans, obviously we're not animals, but humans, are the lowest frequency that we can hear is 20 hertz. It's kind of like a small whisper, 20 hertz. The loudest that we can hear is 20 kilohertz. Now, 20 kilohertz is probably the sound of like a, an airline or a jet flying over, which would probably cause some major damage to your ears. Um, it's one of the loudest sounds that you could probably tolerate without causing some major damage is, is a jet going on overhead. But did you know the African elephant has a lot lower frequency of hearing than humans? They can vocalize with other, element, uh, other um, um, elephants at really low-pitched noises. They're called infrasounds. And they can communicate miles and miles away, and it's below the threshold of what humans can hear. So you're out in the forest or you're out in the jungle, and elephants are communicating with each other, and you can't hear it because it's lower than what we can hear. It's under the threshold. It's too low of a frequency that we cannot hear it. Now, dolphins, on the other hand, 
have some of the most amazing hearing of any of the animals. Dolphins can hear at 150 kilohertz, which is seven times more sensitive than the human ear. That's amazing. So dolphins and elephants and humans. Now, God has given us two ears to be able to hear. And how many times have you had one word go in one ear and go out the other and you really didn't hear or listen? Now, don't raise your hand, wives. But how many of you wives love to have your husbands have the hearing of a dolphin? Seven times that of a human. How many times do I have to ask you to take out the trash? Well, I didn't hear you. I was watching the game. Oh, you need to have the hearing of, of a dolphin so you can hear that. Now, how many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you coworkers would like to have the hearing of an elephant so you could communicate and gossip about your coworker and nobody else would hear because it was such a low frequency? Now, why do I bring up the issue of hearing? Dolphins hearing, elephants hearing, humans hearing. Why, why do I bring up hearing? Well, Jesus is going to address that this morning in this passage of Scripture Last week, in Luke chapter 11, we saw that these Pharisees came down from Jerusalem and they accused Jesus of actually doing the work of Satan. They said, you're, doing, you're casting out demons by Beelzebub, and then Jesus basically blows that argument out of the water. He talks about how he's come in as the strong man, and he's plundered Satan's castle, and he's released the captives. Jesus is stronger than Satan, and then he talks about how you can't just clean up your life with moral improvement. You actually need the Holy Spirit to come live inside of you. And so Jesus addressed that whole issue last week. But I want to draw your attention to verse 16 real quick. Because in verse 16, it said, Others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. They were seeking a sign. And it's to this issue of seeking a sign that Jesus is going to rebuke this generation. So let's pick up on the tales of where we were last week. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 27. Actually, I'm going to skip verse 27. We're going to come back to it. We're going to start in verse 29. Okay? I'm doing that on purpose. So don't think I'm just skipping over the scriptures. Verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after having lit, lighted a lamp, puts it under a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it's bad, your body is full of darkness." Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part of dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, this is a difficult passage of Scripture. 
Um, it took me a while to kind of work through the text to figure out exactly what Jesus is saying. And so this passage of Scripture brings up a lot of questions. And so that's basically where we're going to go this morning. We're just going to ask some questions of this text, and we're going to attempt to answer them. So five questions that we're going to ask this morning. So here's the first question. Question number one. Why did this wicked generation demand signs? That's the whole issue here. They're demanding a sign. Let's just ask a question. Had not Jesus already fed the 5,000? Isn't that a huge sign? Hadn't Jesus already walked on water? Wasn't that a huge sign? Hadn't Jesus just cast out a demon of this mute man just in the immediate context? Wasn't that a sign? Wasn't that a miracle? Had not Jesus been performing miracle after miracle, sign after sign? Why is this generation asking him to do this? And notice what Jesus says here in verse 29. This generation is an evil generation. Wicked. It's a very strong word in the original language. It really means morally corrupt. They're spiritually bankrupt. This is a wicked generation to the core. Now why? Why are they so wicked? Because Jesus is standing before them in the flesh as the Messiah and they're seeing him with their own eyes and they're still not believing who he is. They had a wonderful privilege of being able to see Jesus perform these miracles and they're still doubting who he is. And They said, Jesus, we need to see more information. We want more miracles. We want a sign. In other words, they want an emotional spectacular experience, an over-the-top experience, rather than just the plain word of Christ preached to them in the gospel. They don't want to hear the gospel. They want to be visually stimulated by signs and wonders. They want the smoke machines. They want all the trappings of the spectacular. They want a user-friendly Jesus who's a genie in a bottle someone they could see all these wonderful things happen. They wanted the spectacular. And really, that's the attitude of a lot of how people operate today. There's a lot of people that, that really, they don't want Christ preached in the gospel. They don't want to come and they don't want to hear a message from the Bible because that's kind of boring. A man standing up and preaching from the Bible, that, that's not flashy. That's not exciting. We need to see something huge and something spectacular. And so they, they go off their emotions. They want some type of an emotional experience. They want something spectacular. They don't want just the preaching of the word. They want video clips. They want concerts and smoke machines and all the trappings. But they don't want to hear the word of Christ preached. They want to see with their eyes a sign and a miracle. But Jesus is standing right before them in the flesh. And he's preaching and he's teaching. And they don't want to hear him. They want to demand of him something miraculous. And Jesus calls them a wicked generation. An evil generation. A generation that's seeking a sign. So that's question number one. They're a wicked, evil generation seeking a sign. Now, question number two. <laughs> What's the sign of Jonah? What does Jesus say to this wicked generation? What does he say to them? 
He says there at the end of verse 29, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Now, what's the sign of Jonah? Now, what do we know about Jonah? Now, we're not going to go back to the book of Jonah, but what do we know about Jonah? There's some things that we know about Jonah. Jonah was a prophet called of God, and, and there was something very interesting about Jonah. He was the first prophet called to go outside of Israel to a pagan nation. Up to that point, all the prophets preached to the Israelites, but he's called to go to the pagan Ninevites, this wicked city that's way far away, and he's called to go there. And what does Jonah do? Jonah says, God, I'm not going. He runs away and goes the opposite direction. Okay, so, so Nineveh's way up here. He goes to, to, to way down here to Joppa, which is almost down in Spain. Gets on a boat. What happens on the boat? There's a storm. He gets thrown overboard, man overboard. Jonah thinks he's dead. And so the whole story of Jonah is he runs away from God. He's a wicked prophet, but he gets into the bottom of the sea. And what does God do? God in his grace provides a big fish. Now, was it a whale? Was it a big fish? We don't know. It's some type of sea creature. Swallows Jonah. And how many days was Jonah in the belly of the fish? Three days. And then he was belched up on ground, and he experienced, quote-unquote, a resurrection. Jonah came back to life. Everyone thought he was dead at the bottom of the sea. The fish swallowed him for three days, and then he experienced somewhat of a resurrection a second chance to go preach to the Ninevites. Now, the Gospel of Matthew explains this in a little bit more detail, the sign of Jonah. Matthew 12, 39 through 40. He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And Matthew goes on to explain it in a little bit more detail here in verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Let's ask the question, what's the sign of Jonah? It's the resurrection. It's a very simple answer. These people had no idea what was going on because it hadn't happened yet. But Jesus says, the sign of Jonah is the resurrection. I'm going to be three days in the earth and then I'm going to rise again. That's the sign I'm going to give to you. You want all these signs and wonders? Wait till the day when I rise from the dead. That will be the greatest, most ultimate sign, the sign of Jonah. Now, at that point, they really had no clue what he meant because it hadn't happened yet. Now, here's the next question, question number three. How did these, and, I called, and I'm not being anti-Semitic here by saying these Jewish sign seekers respond to Jesus. It's very important that this is a Jewish audience. These are Jewish people that, that should have known who their Messiah is. Jesus is, is preaching and teaching to Jewish people. How did these sign seekers respond to Jesus? Did they accept the message? Jesus gives two examples, and these two examples are very interesting because these two examples are both of pagan Gentiles, one a woman and one a city. Not Jewish people that knew their Old Testament, not Jewish people who had grown up in the synagogue, pagan outsiders from faraway countries. And Jesus gives two examples of how they responded to the hearing of the gospel. The first is the queen of Sheba. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 30, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the man, son of man be to this generation. The queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear 
the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon's here. She traveled from the ends of the earth to come hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, where do we find that in our Bibles? Jesus is actually quoting what happened in 1 Kings chapter 10. Just a side note here. This is not in my notes, but it just came to me. Jesus affirmed the authority of Scripture and looked at the Jonah narrative as, Je- as Jonah literally being swallowed by a fish. It wasn't a fable. It wasn't a myth. Jesus affirmed both of these as literal historical events. Now, the Queen of Sheba, 1 Kings 10, 7 through 9. But I do not believe the reports until I came. This is the Queen of Sheba talking to Solomon. I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not even told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I had heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Is that not up on the screen? Okay, I did the slides this week, and so... I, I must have not put it in there. So that's what happens when both your secretaries are out this week. So just have to take my word for it. Or you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 10. But what you find there is the Queen of Sheba is blessing the Lord of Israel for Solomon's wisdom. Here is a pagan queen, an outsider, a foreigner who has very little knowledge of who God is. And she comes and she hears the wisdom of Solomon. And she has a confession of faith. She has faith in the God of Israel. She says, blessed be the Lord of Israel. She uses God's covenant name, a pagan queen. So the queen of Sheba, who had very little information, comes and hears the message. And she has faith in the God of Israel. It's a confession of faith from a Gentile. That's example number one, this pagan Gentile queen of Sheba that came from the south, from Africa, up to hear Solomon. The second example is the Gentile city of Nineveh, the wicked city. Now, the Ninevites, they were pagans, too. They did not grow up in Jerusalem. They were outsiders. They knew nothing about God. And Jonah, after he had been belched up on the dry land, he goes into Nineveh, and he preaches a sermon, an eight-word sermon, and we'll find that here in Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. Is that on the screen? That's not on there either. Okay, just listen closely. Jonah chapter 3, 4 through 5. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You got four, basically, Jonah's message is this. You got 40 days to turn or burn. I mean, that's basically what his message is. Forty days, and God's going to overthrow your city. That word overthrow means to annihilate. It's the same word used of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jonah goes in and says, you've got 40 days to repent, to believe in the Lord, or he's going to destroy you. In the next verse, verse 5 says this, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. How did the people of Nineveh, these pagan outsiders, these violent people, how did they respond to the preaching of Jonah? They believed and they repented. Now, what's the point here? Why does Jesus use these two stories of pagan Gentile outsiders who had no knowledge of the gospel? The point is this. When they heard the message, they responded in repentance and faith. The queen of Sheba 
traveled miles to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and she confessed the Lord of Israel. The Ninevites, when they heard the message of Jonah, they repented and believed. With very little exposure, very little knowledge, very little information, pagan Gentiles received the message. Now, here's the damning indictment on these Jewish people who were right before Jesus. What does Jesus say to these men? You're standing here seeing me with your very own eyes demanding a sign and you're not believing who I am. And on the day of judgment, the Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba are going to rise up and they're going to be examples of those who had faith and you're going to suffer condemnation in hell. These pagan outsiders who had very little knowledge are going to stand up at the day of judgment and you're going to be in hell and they're going to be in heaven. Notice what he says. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented, that generation, the Ninevites, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So here's the problem with these Jewish sign seekers. They had stubborn, unrepentant, unbelieving hearts with Jesus standing right in front of them. They had all the proof they needed. They had the Messiah right before them. The Ninevites did not have that. The Queen of Sheba did not have that. But when they heard the message of the gospel, the Queen of Sheba responded in faith. The Ninevites responded in faith. When these men see Jesus in front of them, they don't respond in faith. They're going to be judged. So question number four. What's the fundamental problem with all people? Now, in the immediate context here, Jesus is addressing this, these Jewish sign seekers, this, this generation, this wicked generation, okay? The generation here. But here's the issue. It wasn't as if these men didn't have the knowledge. It wasn't like they were living in darkness. It wasn't like they were the queen of Sheba that had never heard, or the Ninevites had never heard, or people living in unreached people groups had never heard. These men had all the information they needed because the Messiah was standing right in front of them. The issue was not lack of information. That's not the, inf- that's not the issue for them. Jesus says right here in verse 32, I'm sorry, verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it on a cellar under a basket but on a stand so that those who may enter it may see the light. Jesus is talking about himself. Listen, I'm the light of the world. I've been doing my ministry out in public. I've been public about my ministry. I've not been secret. I've been doing everything out in the public so there's no excuse for you not to know who I am as the Messiah. The issue is not me as the light or the gospel. The issue is you have unbelieving dead, spiritually blind hearts. Notice what Jesus says about the eye. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when the eye is bad, your body's full of darkness. Now, what's this whole issue of your eye and your body? Jesus is making a metaphor. The, the, the ancients would have understood what he's talking about here. We, we may not quite track with what Jesus is saying, but those people would have understood what he's saying. The eye is a metaphor for your inner life, your spiritual life, who you are, the soul. And what Jesus is saying is your eye, your soul, is bad. It's bad. 
Now that word bad there in verse 34 is the same word for evil used up in verse 29 to describe that wicked generation. What Jesus is basically saying is, listen, the problem is not me and the information. The problem is you have a wicked, dead, spiritually blind heart. You can't see the truth because you're blinded to the truth. You have an evil eye. In other words, you have a twisted, depraved nature. You're blinded. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this, in their case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this world, we talked about this last week, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. Unbelievers are blinded by Satan. They have wicked, dead, blinded eyes and hearts to the truth when it's standing right before them. Jesus is the light of the world. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In other words, without Christ, you are spiritually dead, you're in bondage to Satan, you are depraved and crooked and twisted, is what Jesus is saying. You're blinded. You're spiritually blind and you're spiritually dead. And Jesus gives the warning there in verse 31. What does he say? I'm sorry. Uh, Verse 35. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. The light in you be darkness. In other words, what Jesus is saying to these men is, listen, men. You that are demanding a sign. You have dark, dead hearts. You have blind eyes. You are helpless and you are hopeless and you are hellbound and you are dead in your sins. And the light is standing right before you. I'm standing right before you. I'm the light of the world. And the reason you can't see is not because I'm standing before you giving you off light. The light's, pl- the light's fine. The problem is your heart. You can't see it. Because you have a dead heart. In other words, you have a cataract of unrepentance over your eyes. So what must happen to you to go from having a bad, evil heart to having a, what he says there, a healthy heart, a healthy eye? What has to happen? Can you produce this? Remember last week when Jesus tells a story about the demon that leaves the man and he cleans his life up and brings seven more demons back? It doesn't happen, remember last week, by cleaning up your life. You can't just like clean up your heart, clean up your life by moral improvement. It, the, the, the sin goes too deep within you for you to do anything to clean it up. The only way you're going to get out of spiritual darkness and spiritual deadness is if the Holy Spirit does a deep work in you to open those eyes, to free that heart, to give you the light of the gospel. You need to be born again. John 3.3 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot what? See. The kingdom of heaven. What, you, what can't you see? You can't see your need for salvation. You can't see the kingdom. You can't see Jesus unless something happens to you. What's that unless that has to happen to you? You must be 
born again. And let me just say this, you can't born again yourself. You can't cause yourself to be born again. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit's the one that gives you the new birth. The Holy Spirit's the one that opens your eyes. The Holy Spirit's the one that opens your heart. When Paul was on the road to Damascus and God saved him, when Jesus blinded him, Paul tells about that account. And it's interesting what Paul tells about his ministry. Paul is before the authorities and Paul says, listen, this is my ministry. We find this in Acts chapter 26, verses 17 through 18. Jesus had delivered you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. And notice what what Paul's mission is, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Notice the imagery there. What does Paul say he's doing? In his evangelism, in his ministry, he's going to help people have blind eyes opened because they're under bondage of Satan to open blind eyes. The fundamental problem with every single person is that every single person is born spiritually dead and spiritually blind. Dead hearts, blind eyes, wicked to the core. The problem is not Jesus as the light of the world. The problem is we can't see it, we can't receive it because of our deadness. So it leads us to the fifth question this morning. What has to happen? What is the primary way God overcomes this spiritual deadness and blindness? How does God overcome it? If you're spiritually blind and you're spiritually dead and you are totally sinful, and you can't clean your act up, and you can't save yourself, what has to happen? God has to do a work. And Paul goes on to finish that verse about our eyes being blinded by Satan. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. You see, when the gospel is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit comes and does a work like on the day of creation where God said, let there be light. God comes into your heart that's dead and says, let there be light. And God turns on the light bulbs in your blind eyes so that you can finally see Jesus. But the Holy Spirit has to do that work. And so how does that work primarily happen? How does the Holy Spirit open your eyes? How does the Holy Spirit open your heart? How does it primarily happen? Here's the answer. It primarily happens through you hearing the word of Christ preached. It comes by hearing the gospel. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Good news. That I preached to you. Gospel has to be preached. Which you received, you have to hear it, you have to receive it. In which you stand, in which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So what is this gospel that was preached? What is this gospel that has to be heard? 
Well, Paul tells us in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received from Christ. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is the good news of the historical reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that has to be preached so that it can be heard, so that it can be received. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, 13 through 17, Paul lays out an argument here. He lays out a progression. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Everybody here who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul begins to unpack that. How then will they call upon him they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who's believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How does faith come? Does it come through demanding a sign that you see with your eyes? Or does it come through hearing the gospel preached? It comes through hearing. These men demanded a visual sign. Jesus says faith comes by hearing. Now I skipped over verses 27 and 28. Let's go back and read it. And now it may make a little bit more sense. I purposely left over that. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. She's saying, Mary's a blessed woman because she gave birth to you. But verse 28, but he said, Blessed rather are those who what? Say it. Hear the word of God and what? Keep it. Blessed are those who hear what faith comes by hearing, and you you keep it. The word keep means to respond in faith. You believe it. And these are in the present tense verbs. You're always continually hearing the word. And you're always continually receiving it and repenting and believing And following, it's not just like a one-time decision. I heard the message a long time ago. No, the implication here is Jesus is you're blessed if you're always hearing the word and you're always keeping it. What did the queen of Sheba do? She traveled the ends of the earth to what? Hear the wisdom of Solomon. And when she heard, she responded in faith. What did the Ninevites do when they heard the message preached of Jonah? When Jonah went out in the streets and preached that message, they heard it and they responded in repentance and faith. In other words, they lived out what Jesus said here. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The queen of Sheba heard the word of God and kept it. The Ninevites heard the word of God and they kept it. So here's the reality that hopefully everything I've said up to this point, here's the the reality. First of all, every single person without Jesus is spiritually dead, spiritually blind, spiritually lost, cannot save themselves. They are in a predicament where they are helpless, hopeless, and hell-bound. Secondly, the gospel must be proclaimed. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ must be preached so that it can be heard. 
And once the gospel is heard, God does that supernatural work of granting faith. Faith comes by hearing. And when you hear and you believe, you are freed. You repent. You believe. What does Jesus say here? If you demand a sign, you're a wicked generation. If you hear the word of God, you're blessed. Don't ever get over the fact that you've heard the word and God has given you the faith to believe it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast. Don't ever forget, Christian, that you at one time were spiritually bankrupt, you were spiritually dead, you had blind eyes, you were hopeless, you were helpless, you were hellbound, and God in his sovereign grace came and he met you at that point of need and he opened your eyes and he opened your heart and he gave you faith because you heard it. Faith comes by hearing. Praise God for the privilege. And praise God for this privilege because there are some people up to a billion in our world today who've never heard what you've heard. There are people living in unreached people groups who've never heard what you've heard. And Jesus says, blessed is the one who's heard and kept. These men did not want to hear Jesus. They just wanted a sign and Jesus condemned them he says the true blessing comes when you hear the word and you keep it. So you really have no excuse this morning because the light has shone. Jesus says the light's out. The light's shining. The word's been preached. You've heard the message. You have no excuse today. You can't leave this place and say, I didn't know because the gospel has been preached. These Jewish men demanded a sign from Jesus and they saw him in the flesh. And they still rejected him. They were a wicked generation. Acts 17.30 says this. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By a man he's appointed. And he's given this assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It's vitally important. You need to repent. Why? There's a day of judgment. How do we know that? Because the one who was raised from the dead is coming back. And God proved it by raising him from the dead. Remember Jonah? The sign of Jonah is the resurrection of Jesus combined with repentance. The sign of Jonah is basically this. When you hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you respond with repentance and faith the way that the Ninevites did. You know, there's two kinds of darkness that Jesus is talking about here. There's two kinds of darkness. One is ignorance. This is the person that lives in the unreached areas that's never heard the gospel. This is a person that doesn't have exposure to Jesus, maybe a Muslim or a Hindu or, or somebody in some tribe somewhere that's never heard they're still going to experience judgment in hell because of their sin, but their darkness is one of ignorance that they've never received the light. 
But there's a second kind of darkness that I think is more damning and worse. It's the stubborn unbelief to those who have heard the gospel and then rejected it. There will be greater punishment on that day because the queen of Sheba will rise up and the Ninevites will rise up. Pagans living in outer darkness that did not have access to gospel will rise up against these Jewish men that had Jesus right in front of them and said, you had every opportunity to repent and believe, but you didn't. There's going to be greater judgment if you've received the light and rejected it than those that have never heard. But notice what Jesus says here. Someone greater than Solomon is standing before you. Someone greater than Jonah is standing in front of you. In other words, Jesus is the greater one. Jesus is the better one. Jesus is the mighty one. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus when he baptized him? John, in Luke 3.16, John the Baptist answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. The mightier one. Jesus is the mightier one. What did we see last week in verse 22? He's the stronger man that plundered Satan's palace. He's the mightier one. He's the greater one. He's greater than Solomon. Solomon was the greatest man that ever lived, that had the greatest wisdom to ever live. And Jesus says, I'm here greater than Solomon. And what Jesus is saying is that all of the wisdom of God is in Christ. Solomon was the son of David. Jesus is the true son of David, the true king of kings, in whom all the wisdom of God resides. 1 Corinthians 1.30, And because of him you're in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the full wisdom of God. Jesus is mightier than John the Baptist. Jesus is stronger than the devil. Jesus is a greater prophet than Jonah. Jonah was a great prophet, even though he ran away from God. He came in and preached a message of eight words, and the whole town repented. That would be a pastor's dream. Jesus is the greater Jonah, because Jesus not only speaks the word of God, he is the word of God. He's the word of God. He's the wisdom of God. He's the one that rose from the dead. He was three days in the earth, and he rose again on the three days. So here's the question for us all this morning. Will you truly hear the word of Jesus just like the queen of Sheba came and listened to the wisdom of God? Is she going to rise up on the day of judgment against you? Will you truly hear the word of God like the Ninevites did when they mixed that with repentance when they heard it? They, they repented. Are the Ninevites going to stand up on the day of judgment against you? What does Jesus say there in verse 28? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So the question for all of us today as we leave this place is, do you want to truly be blessed? How are you blessed? How are you saved? How are you right with God? It's by hearing the word and then receiving it. Would we all be hearers of the word, receivers of the word, so that we would truly be blessed? So let's pray this morning, and let's spend some time letting our ears soak in what we've heard this morning so that we can truly hear the word and be blessed. So would you spend a few moments just thinking about what you've heard this morning? and spend time praying to your Lord.
Your word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So Lord, there may be some in this room this morning that for the very first time their ears have been opened and their eyes have been opened because you've done a work of grace in them. Lord, my prayer, that's happened to too many in this room. For the very first time, they see with their eyes, they hear with their ears, they know in their heart that you are King of kings and Lord of lords because you've done a work of grace to overcome that deadness, that blindness. Lord, help us to be hearers. Lord, there's so many things we hear all week long. We get in the car and we turn stuff on. We go home, we turn stuff on. We do the dishes, we turn stuff on. We go work out, we put our earbuds in and we turn stuff on and we, we're always listening. Lord, may we truly be listening to you. Have our ears attuned to you. Because that's where the true blessing comes. And not just hearing it, but keeping it. Receiving it. Responding in faith upon what we hear. Lord, help us to be good listeners this week. Thank you for your resurrection, Jesus, the ultimate sign that we live on this side of the resurrection so we know what happened. You were three days in the belly of the earth and then you rose again. And Lord Jesus, because you've risen from the dead, you're coming back on that final day, the day of judgment. And we need to repent and be ready for that day. So Lord, if there's anybody in this room that's not repented and believed and is ready for that day, they haven't believed in the one who is greater, mightier, the risen Christ, would today be the day they believe and repent and trust in Christ alone. Lord, give us grace as we leave this place. We always need grace. We always need power. Help us never to think we can walk out this place and live the Christian life in our own strength and our own power. Help us to be under your authority and your grace and your power. Holy Spirit, we desperately need you. So help us this week. All to the glory of Christ and to his name alone. And it's in his name alone that we pray these things. Amen and amen.